sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite of the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. Hello and welcome back. It's Andrew Needling here. Thanks so much for downloading this episode. If you're new to the show, appreciate you joining on the journey. Well, I see all those reviews, the likes, the shares, getting a lot of direct messages. I try to respond to all of them. It really keeps me motivated. So thanks so much to you guys, the podcast crew out there. I really appreciate it. Awesome episode coming along this week. My word, I've got Brooke McDonald. Well, if you don't know who Brooke McDonald is and what he's gone through, you must be living under a rock if you even know what a mountain bike is. He is so inspiring. But let's not forget how well he was doing before this injury. Let's not forget he's a World Cup winner. Let's not forget how authentic he was. And he had this huge fan base before he went through that horrific crash and injury. This is a tell-all. He goes into huge detail about the recovery process, what it was like for him, the mental things that he went through. He's so strong mentally. I mean, that is one of the key things, I think, to getting through this. So guys, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did to get a real in-depth look, what it looks like, what it's mentally like, how emotional it was coming back to the sport of mountain biking. And now he's honestly riding as good, if not better. And I think he's in a better place mentally. So enjoy this episode with Brooke McDonald. All right, podcast fans, thanks so much for tuning in. This is Moving the Needle podcast. We'll do you a live intro for a good friend of mine, but an absolute legend of the sport. And I think he inspired everyone to be mentally stronger and get back from adversity but he is a junior world champion in the sport of downhill, as well as a World Cup winner. Let's not forget the speed and just raw talent the man has. Brooke McDonald, how on earth are you doing? I'm good, Needles. Um, I'm just locked up in a hotel room at the moment. So, uh, I mean, uh, as good as it can be, we're, we're, we're doing good. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that uh, a forced two-week quarantine is not too mentally straining for a man like you, even though you'd probably rather be out riding a bike or a motorbike or something. Yeah, I mean, um, it's yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I'm a home person, so to actually uh, know I've got to do this and then have two weeks at home, it's, it's pretty good. We've got a pretty good setup in, uh, in our hotel room, so it's it's keeping us busy. I mean, if we didn't have this, then we wouldn't really know what to to do with ourselves. So, yeah, we're definitely keeping busy and, and training lots. So that's uh, making the time go by pretty quickly. Yeah, you seem like a guy that'll try find a silver lining and everything. I saw you got, um, it seems like you got a watt bike, a concept rower and a vertical concept rower. But more importantly, I think for you, you got new putter. I think Cobra delivered a putting mat. So what's getting the most yeah. use in that hotel room? Well, a bit of everything because I go from the putting green onto the um, onto the ski erg and then onto the watt bike and then into the weight. So, um, you know, I've got a pretty uh, pretty diverse setup, and I think uh, it definitely kills the time in the morning. And then uh, by the time I've finished my stuff in the morning, I've got lunch and then uh, into something in the afternoon. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm definitely definitely uh, critiquing my putting skills. Um, I think I'm going to come out and, and be a lot better putter than I am uh, driver and uh, 
and fairway guy, so we should uh, we should see about uh, how that goes. Well, they say drive for show, putt for dough, so you'll probably be able to take uh, Eddie's Eddie's money. Are you who who's got the who's got the game? You or Eddie at the moment? Would you say you've got a little bit more experience? I think. Yeah, I think I got I think I got a bit more experience. I think uh, I think definitely Eddie is uh, picking up on it pretty quickly, but um, I think a lot of his shots are probably uh, fluke shots. So. We'll, uh, we'll wait. We'll wait until he gets his own uh, set of clubs, and then uh, we'll work from there. Yeah, then the excuses are off the table. Then he's got to step up, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but Brooke, I mean, sitting in a hotel room, it's got to force you to reflect a bit. I mean, what what's the year been like so far for you? Uh, a little bit out from this injury that obviously everyone asks you about or as is something you use inspired us all but i i can see the the hunger in you and the, and the speed you showed this year already so what's the reflection been like on the year that's passed so far even though you've only had two world cup races and one with a bit of a weather issue man i mean to me like this year has been probably one of the best years in my racing career i've just um like I, I honestly had like a, a good off season of training. Like I was, you know, my, my health was, was pretty good. So I had like a actual off season that I could really focus on, you know, building strength and, um, yeah, just building everything that I didn't need to do with rehab. So yeah, I come into the season pretty strong and, um, I don't know. I just like, when I come to Europe, like I was so excited to get to Europe and then, I got here and I just felt like, I don't know, just my outlook on, on everything. Like just riding a bike is, is growing so much. Like I honestly just, I, I just love riding my bike. Like even racing, like, you know, deep down, like I honestly still want to be able to win world cups and, and be a consistent top five, top 10 guy. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, like when I turn up to a race, I'm just there to race my bike because I feel, honestly, I feel so privileged to have the opportunity to race my bike again and, and the fact that I can turn up and still, you know, perform and, and perform, you know, to the best of my ability and, and to be able to still be a potential contender. Like it just honestly makes me so happy and like, you know, I could have just, stayed in Europe and, and kept racing and riding my bike, like coming home, um, obviously is something that I wanted to do, but if I could have, I would have stayed over there and, and kept racing. Cause I just, honestly, I enjoy it so much more than I, than I used to. And like, I think just my outlook on life is so much more different. Like I feel like I have no regrets at all. And like the racing this year, um, you know, like I really surprised myself in Leo gang. Like I, qualified 11th I was pretty pretty happy with that like you know to to qualify 11th um at a world cup is is not easy nowadays so to be able to do that um I was pretty happy and then you know I really felt like I had something in 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 my race run um and then yeah kind of lost uh well tucked the front in in the last corner and and went down and um sort of threw that opportunity away but you know the I reflect on that. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I was so happy with that race run because, you know, I did everything that I wanted to do. I rode fast and, um, you know, I come to the bottom and I was, 
you know, I was gutted that I crashed, but you know, in the in the long run, I was I was actually really happy with with my performance and how I was riding. Um, you know, you'd know it. Um, needles coming down from a race run and and thinking you put together an amazing run and looking back at the the clock and it's you know 30 30th place or 40th place like it's not satisfying and you come down and you know you're on a good run and you have a crash it's uh it's it's way more satisfying so yeah and in all honesty like this season has been really good i wanted to ask that is something i wanted to ask about is is that pushing to the finish um, it's way more regret if you sort of um, realize you had a good run and then kind of, say, braked or got conservative to get it to the finish line. But you've just alluded to that. I, I fully agree. I mean, to know that you pushed right to the finish, it wasn't really a ride error. It was just like, I mean, it was a, you can call it a ride error, but it's because you were so, like, aggressive going to the finish. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I honestly think those runs are way more satisfying than coming down and having an actual clean run. But like you said, over-braked here, over-braked there, and coming across the line and being in 20th place when you thought your run was like a you know top five, top 10 run. I remember back where I, you know, I wasn't... I mean, you're bummed, aren't you? Because you know you could have got a good result or you crashed. There's yeah. obviously disappointment. But if you know like the race is from A to B and you shouldn't stop pushing till you get to B, but I mean, subconsciously often, once you've put a good run down, you kind of know it. Um, and you sometimes ride a little bit more conservatively, say in the last sector. And man, that hurts a lot. If you've got top five splits and then you get ninth or eighth, I mean, it's a, it's a great result, isn't yeah. it? But there's something so satisfying. Know that, you know, you committed to the process of going as fast as you can to the finish line and whatever happens, happens. It's, it's a pretty liberating feeling, um, and that's awesome to hear that because I did see that that's the way you were riding. You weren't just, hey, I need to get back in the top 10. Uh, I, need a, I need a solid run to start the season. I mean, that just shows, like, it's basically how you've ridden a bike all the time, and that's what impressed me is that uh, commitment back to your racing is there already. Yeah, yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, just like I was saying before, the outlook on my life, like, honestly feel like when I hop in that start gate, like from the get go, I'm, I'm, because I've, I've always been a, a guy that's never been like, you know, a, a, a top 15, top 20 guy at the first split. I always sort of work my way into, into, um, into the track. And now I feel like I just have that fire of like being able to leave the start gate and actually put in solid, like first, second splits and be able to carry that on the, on the whole way down the track. So, um, yeah, I guess just the different way of approaching it and just, I guess, being more open-minded and, like, just being happy that – I think it's just more so just being happy that, I, you know, I'm riding my bike and, you know, I'm, I'm at a mountain bike race and just having so much fun. So I think it's, uh, you know, that's, that's the biggest uh, key for me anyway. And do you think – I mean, obviously, I, I would assume that when you go through something that you went through and, and it, it was was life-changing and, and no one, unless they've been through a very similar thing, can relate. But from the outside, it just seems like it's really, you're always very happy to be at the races and a great attitude and, and one of the best guys in the sport to promote it. But it seems now, more than ever, you're just consciously and subconsciously probably so grateful that you can ride a bike again, do your profession 
and kind of it seems like you re-energize and got a new excitement for just like two wheels and and knowing like hey as a kid you used to enjoy the sport then when it becomes a career i mean i can attest to this it 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 can burn you out the mundane monotonous hey you're in the hotel you're having to do the workouts not because you always want to it's on the training program but it seems like there's just been a, a real big switch for you yeah, fully. I honestly agree so much with that. Like, you know, I I enjoyed my job before my accident and like, you know, I was obviously so privileged that I had the opportunity to do that. But, you know, like you said, you get to the point where it, you know, burns you out and you, you know, all the travel, being in hotels, like having to, you know, turn up to this place and go to that place and be a week here, be a week there. It, it definitely takes its toll on you and like and now that I know that like it, that that was almost taken away from me um I feel like you know I'm just you know so lucky to be able to have that opportunity to do again so like me turning up to a race is like just me turning up to ride my bike for the weekend and like you know if the result comes the result comes but at the end of the day like you know if for example, Leo gang this year, like if that was, you know, in, in 2018, I would have been so disappointed with myself. And, you know, that disappointment only lasts for an hour because it's a bike race, you know, we're racing against the clock and it, uh, it, it wears off pretty quickly. So, um, you know, just, just me for turning up to races now for myself, like I just actually turn up to ride my bike and actually enjoy riding it for, for a whole weekend. And like, I just feel like that outlook for me has changed everything. Like just the way I ride, the way I approach races. Um, I think it's just a sort of like a, I don't give a fuck attitude. Just turn up, ride your bike. If it, you know, if the results happen, they happen. If they don't, well, you know, on to the next one. But I just, you know, enjoyed riding my bike and, and had so much fun. Like, for example, um, Leger, like, Obviously, we were dealt with some pretty shit cards there, but, you know, like, I come down from my run, and I was honestly so stoked, like, just to, you know, for me to put a, a clean run together in those conditions, like, sometimes I still struggle with, with a little bit of commitment and confidence, you know, with with that sort of stuff and those those conditions, but, like, that sort of, like, really helped with, with my confidence, you knowing that I can, you know, actually put together a, a full run at a at a decent speed in those conditions um and it be clean and like it can be consistent so yeah i think like for me just racing bikes is is just like i don't know it's so sick now like my life outlook on on everything is so much more different like you know like just everything partying whatever it be like i'm just you know go out get drunk and next morning I wake up I'm like man I had a sick night it's like you know before I would have woken up and I would have been regretting like going out that night I would have had a headache but you know it's just all those small things that like I'm just sort of I guess living my life more than I would have before I guess yeah I wanted to ask you what you know what do you think you've changed about your life or what has it taught you and it seems like I've stepped away now so I can see that there's more to life than, than the result or racing a bike, even though, I mean, everyone asks, do I miss it? Of course I miss it. I miss all the good things. 
And that's all people see from the outside. Or how could you complain about racing a bike around the world? But they only see the yeah. good things. They don't see the pressure. They don't see the disappointment or putting six months, well, your whole life, and then six months to an off-season and then the first race, you know, goes goes terribly wrong. But there's so many lessons in there that you've almost forced yourself to already see, even though you're now in the middle of your career, with some great successes and some insane hardships, that there is more to life than the bike race. So two hours of disappointment after a crash is now it seems like five minutes for you because you know, you know, life could be a lot worse and you've seen how, how dangerously close you were to, to a different life, let's say. So, um, I think that's fascinating and, and something you obviously consciously have to tell yourself as well. It's, I would assume not every day is that easy for Brooke to be this positive. Mm, yeah, I guess, to, no, to be honest, like my, every single day of my life is, is positive like I don't I feel like I don't have any negativity in it it's just you know exactly like what you said needles like my life was pretty close to being taken away and now I you know before I did you know like I did know that I you know my life could have been taken away you know any day and like now I realize gone through something like that it's um you know I just live my day my life to the fullest and you know, I don't have any regrets to what I do. And like, I just make sure that everything that I do, I do it, you know, to the best of my ability. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just feel like I have way more of a different outlook on, on life than I, than I did before. Like just, just, just anything, like anything in general, like whether it's like, you know, um, you know, for example, like, you know, in the off season, I would like, you know, like I was so strict with myself. I would be like, okay, you know, today I'm I'm actually really, really rooted, and I don't know if I can train, but I'd still go out and train. Whereas now I'd be like, oh well, I, you know, I don't feel like training today, so I'm just gonna have a rest day, or I'm gonna take the day off. Um, because I think, yeah, like you said, there's there's more to life than uh, you know, having that sort of stuff to to focus on and like. You know, you got uh we've we've done that for like, you know, fifteen plus years and I think just to actually give time to yourself and be able to realise like what life's about is, is way more important than having to focus on, on that sort of stuff. Obviously there is that focus there, but you know, I think you gotta balance it out. So I mean I think it's easy to see that a fresh rider is, um, you know, going to perform better than than a burnt out rider. So it seems like you're you're listening to your body more and 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 accepting that you don't have to have guilt for say missing a training day if that's what you think deep down you need. I mean, you're definitely not. I mean, you're the mo- one of the most dedicated men in the world. I think not just in mountain biking for what you did to get through that recovery process, which I I, I want to dig into if you're comfortable with that, but. It's pretty awesome to hear you at, at, a, at a fairly young age in the sport to realize it's not about ticking every single box if the mind's not refreshed or the body actually, you know, it, it didn't handle the training as well as it could have, so maybe it needs a rest day. Or you go out and you go play nine holes um, with the missus or, or go walk the dog. I mean, it's pretty key, and I don't think athletes do enough of that. And me, myself, I can even realize after racing, I'm hard on myself if I miss a day of, say, 
activity or or a workout but it might have been better for me to okay i don't meditate but i'd like to do that or go for yoga but you know as an athlete you just want to push 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 until there's almost no more it's kind of bred into us yeah fully and i think we i think every athlete can relate and i think we just get tunnel vision and like when we're in that tunnel vision just there's nothing that can can stop us whether you you know like whatever it be your family like you can i mean like that can all be pushed aside and you know that tunnel vision really takes over when you know when you put your head down and and work your ass off in the off season to train to be the best of your ability coming into a into a season because I know I've done that I've done that plenty of times and like you know like you never really know what other athletes are doing so you're always like okay well you know I'm obviously going to try be one step better than what they're doing um and you know it gets you get caught up in that stuff and I think like you know like you were saying like you know whether you go out and walk your dog or go play golf instead of doing a training day like there is that guilt there that you're like, oh shit, I'm missing, I'm missing a day of training. But for me now, like I actually don't feel that anymore. Like I actually, you know, I couldn't care less whether I missed a training day and went and you know play golf or walk my dog or whatever it be. Um, yeah, I just think that you know I've that that kind of kind of guilt has sort of left me now because I realised like life is so precious and you may as well make the most of everything that you can do because it can end pretty quickly. Yeah, Brooke, it's, it's awesome to, to hear you have those reflections so early on and, and a lot of them were forced on you and it's, it's fascinating. I think you can learn a lot through books and, and maybe a podcast and stuff, but often you've got to go through those experiences yourself and, and you mentioned, and I think it comes on what people see on the outside. And I, and I, I thank you for letting us in on your recovery. And I know there's been documentaries and, and your Instagram, you like, you let us in. Did you ever realize you had kind of have that effect or inspire people so much, you know, with your first race back in, in Innsbruck and, and, and it was really an emotional ride for all of us. I can only imagine what it felt like to you, but did you ever think, the effect you'd have on on the sport and and maybe people outside the sport reaching out to you yeah i mean to be honest i never i never had that that thought until i started getting started to get messages from people like it was just like a reoccurrence of of messages from people that were saying look you know i've been through this or i'm going through this or i've broken my leg or whatever it be like it, it, it you know it could have been the smallest thing and i you know, I just, for me, I just kind of wanted to document my recovery to show people that, you know, there is actually hope in, you know, in life and that there is hope in, in recovering from injuries. Um, and like, I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to hide anything and I didn't want to be that sort of person. Like, you know, they read about my injury on the, on the internet and then, you know, six months later, here's me posting a video of uh, of me riding a bike. I just kind of wanted to, you know, take everyone that was following me on the journey that I was on. So they kind of had that sort of feeling that they were there, you know, witnessing what I was going through and, you know, what I had to learn to do again. Um, and, yeah, honestly, like, 
yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like all the messages I got from people, like you know, from people that have injuries or that you know struggling with day to day life, like you know that that shit like really really touched me and like it 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 was honestly so meaningful to to actually have that feeling like man like what I'm what I've what I've done or what I've put out there is really having an effect on on other people's lives and like you know whether it you know be something you know changing someone's life or you know their their outlook on life is different to what it was before like I just think like um yeah it's it's pretty amazing like what what a human can actually do to other people like you know we look at you know for example singers like you know what singers can do to people is is pretty pretty insane and like you know for someone like myself a a mountain biker who's like not that well known you know well you know I mean well why we are well known in, in our sport but like out of our sport not really so to be able to have that I guess impact on on people's lives was was pretty insane. Like it was, you know, even now I still get still get messages, and it's like, you know, super super touching, and and at the same time rewarding that, you know, I, you know, I know that I've done something to someone's life or changed something in their life. So, yeah, it's it's been pretty pretty awesome. And it was, I would assume, a bit of a motivating factor, maybe on some of the tougher days that these people are coming along on the journey um, that are kind of motivate you to, to get to the workouts and do the rehab and, and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, just all the comments that I had, like it was insane. And that definitely drove me. Like, I, I guess my, like my motivation was definitely not low at any point of my recovery. Like, because I knew every day was really. Did you, know, you not a have any bad days? No, to, honestly, needles like the probably the worst. Like That's the so days that were, yeah, the days that were were the most worst for me were probably when I was like week two in Quebec and we were trying to organize flights to to go home because you know I didn't actually have like a I you know at that point I knew I could stand up I knew I could you know walk walk with help and and walk being assisted so you know I just had in my mind like okay you know this is what I need to do every day I need someone I need a physio that's gonna come to me at 10 o'clock in the morning and three o'clock in the afternoon and we're gonna work but you know because I was juggling between well Lucy was juggling between sorting flights out to get us home we never really you know had an actual answer of well to the physios of when we we're going to go home so like they couldn't really schedule in you know times for me so if I was you know if I went out for a walk or went outside and I missed the physio because they turned up because they had a free space you know that was my session missed so um yeah probably the the week like the week the second week of trying to get a flight out like my insurance didn't want to you know budge with flying us business class home and they were trying to like put us in economy and put me in like a um in like a stretcher that they put above the overhead lockers they take like four rows out and I was like there's no fucking way I'm flying home you know 30 odd hours you know above the overhead lockers like That's you know insane, I was capable to <laughs> yeah and I was capable to like you know stand up and walk down the 
the aisle of the of an airplane like you know there was no no trouble with that with help um so that was like that was so difficult because i i just wanted to be home i'd been home i'd been away for like two and a half three months so my mind was just to get home and and start rehab so those were like not not motive not you know that didn't stop my motivation but it was just like just mentally draining like knowing that I'm lying in a hospital not having you know physio daily that I could have been having when I was at home and like we were looking at so many options like because you know like they were like you you can't fly at the moment so I was like well I'm gonna go to LA and like try find a try find a, a rehab center there and Red Bull um Canada was really you know helpful with all that and then I was like okay well that's not an option to go to LA. I'm going to go to Vancouver because I've got a really good um, rehabilitation center there. And, you know, like just all that sort of stuff, like just really drained me. And like, I just wanted to be somewhere that I had like a actual proper routine schedule. So um, yeah, that was probably the hardest, hardest week of actually my whole recovery. And then just basically from there, I was like, I was every day so motivated to you know, just keep chipping away at, at gaining those little little steps in, in my whole recovery because, like, each day I was progressing and, like, whether it be small or, you know, small or big progressions, it was it was something that, you know, in my head that I knew, okay, well, this is going well, you know. You know, there's, you know, 99.9% of a chance of me riding my bike again and, and racing, like, what that when did you have that thought like what well, i was going to ask did you ever get a little bit too far ahead and doubt that you could race a bike at a high level like can you talk me through the mental process of the self talk of like okay you know i'm setting goals which is amazing to get better but at what point were you like i know i'm going to race a bike again at a top level or was there ever a doubt where you weren't sure like how did that self talk uh, kind of develop well, that that was pretty early on. Like I, I told my goal from like I think it was like two or three days after, was that I was going to race that following year. Like I'm, I'm going to race in 2020. Like, you know, it's 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 a big call. Like people are probably like, man, you're you're stupid. But for I me, was. Like, I honestly yeah. heard you said yeah. you're going to race in Croatia, and I was. I mean, dude, not stupid. I just yeah. Part of me was like, please don't. I just, you know, I kind of wanted you healthy or wanted you to be ready, you know, yeah. but I guess you needed that goal. Okay. You put that goal yeah. so early on in the recovery stage. Yeah. And that was like, that was, I think the biggest, the biggest motivator for me was, you know, okay, I've set this goal um, and I'm going to achieve it. Like whether it was achievable or not, like I didn't have that in my mind. Like it was, to me, it was achievable. And I guess like, when the whole pandemic happened, like I was like, man, it was actually a pretty good thing for me because I think Croatia was, you know, I just, I actually just had surgery and got my rods out of my back. And I think it was like six weeks, seven weeks after that, like was when Croatia was. And like, I was pretty good then, but like, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't up to standard of racing or racing a bike in my mind. I was, but now I look back at it now and I'm like, man, I don't think I would have, uh, I would have been able to ride my bike down, but not at, um, you know, not at a, a speed that I'd wanted to be riding it. Um, so yeah, just more so like the whole, um, 
yeah, from from day dot was that goal was planted in my head and like um I guess like the the first time I really I really knew that like um I, I knew that I you you know, I knew that I wasn't gonna lose that speed. I knew that that speed was still gonna be there, but it was just all the actually all the effects that it had on my body, like all my neurosystem and like, you know, fast fast fiber twitches and muscle memory balance, all that sort of stuff was like the biggest thing that I was more so worried about and like five weeks after um after surgery, like I my physio was like um, I said to her, when do you reckon I can hop on a bike again? And she was like, oh, I reckon we could get you on one soon. I was like, well, let's organise one. We organised one and, and, yeah, five weeks after, I was actually riding around on a bike and I could ride the bike better than I could walk. So, like, I knew from there, like, there's only one way of me riding my bike again and I knew that there was that, that possibility there to be able to race my bike at a, at a high level again. Bro, the emotions are, are that's the video you obviously put on, on Instagram. And then I the one another one I remember is when yeah, you tossed the um the walking chair. When you were like, yeah. fuck that, I don't I don't need it. And it was so awesome just yeah. for you to be like, I don't need it. And then riding the bike, yeah. you must have felt like a kid riding a bike for the first time. Oh, honestly it, needles it was it was honestly like the first time riding a bike again, like just to you know, just just it was just to have that reminder, like that I could actually turn pedals and and hop on a bike. Like I struggled, I actually struggled really hard to like lift my leg over and actually get on it. But once I was on the bike, it was it was totally fine. Like, um, yeah, that was like that was definitely probably that's probably the best day in my life uh, was was actually hopping on a bike again after that injury. And like you know, like when I got back to back to New Zealand from Canada, like my goal was to walk out of the rehab center with, with, uh, with nothing like, you know, that was, that was my biggest motivator too. Cause like we got to the hospital, um, I got to the hospital on a weekend, so I wasn't really, I wasn't put into, um, into the rehab place until Monday. And, you know, I had the, the doctors come over, come to me and, and do some tests and like Lucy and I were like, okay, we're, we're going to be here for probably like two, three months max. Um, and we sort of like, you know, had that set in our minds. And, you know, after they'd done the test, they were like, okay, well, you know, the doctor was like, I think you're only going to be here for four weeks. And we were like, four weeks? What? Four weeks? Like, <laughs> are you crazy? Um, and yeah, we spent four weeks here and I walked out of there with, with just a, a cane obviously to help me walk when I when I got tired and yeah that was that was like another huge uh, stepping stone and in, in my recovery was being able to walk out of that place and know that I could go home and and you know walk into my gym and do physio with my physio there and um and that sort of thing so that was yeah that was huge as well yeah, man, I um, I'm getting goosebumps hearing you talk about it, and and I I get quite a few messages I must say on this podcast um, about people hearing stories, and I'm sure this one's going to help people. And some guys say I didn't ride for ten years, and I was a bit uh, you know going through some issues, and I got back on the bike, and it's so liberating, and and it, it's such a cool feeling. And it, there is something about kind of pedaling off on a bicycle and freewheeling, and kind of the freedom of it. 
I think. So I think we're quite lucky yeah. that we found bikes, you know, as, as the sport that was almost taken away from, from you, you know, and, and, it, and it's awesome hearing it because I'm kind of slapping myself mentally on, on some of the, I mean, I've, I've been so lucky to ride a bike for so many years. So there's not, all of it is exciting for me, but just hearing you, it just makes me feel like an idiot because some days I'm like, yeah, I'll ride for 30 minutes or whatever, but there's people stuck in the office or there's people that can't ride. Um, and I think it's so inspiring and I appreciate how open you are about it and, and talking yeah, about I, what could be quite mentally draining, talking about such, you know, some people would have really struggled with, with an injury like this. Yeah. I mean, like for me, for me talking about this is, is probably like, it makes me happy because, you know, I know it's going to get out there to people and people are going to listen to it and those people that are going to listen to it may be struggling with, with something. So I feel like, you know, it's a huge it's a huge gain for me if I can, you know, help someone in day-to-day life or or an injury or whatever it be. It's just, uh, it's yeah, it's huge. Like another thing, like when I was in rehab, like, you know, like, fuck, it was, it was actually horrible, like, being in a place where it's just full of, you know, paraplegics, tetraplegics, quadriplegics, I mean, like, you name it, they had it all there, and like, you know, like, I had my own room there, so I was pretty lucky, and I spent a week in there, and then I was in a, um, in an apartment with Lucy, so like, I was sort of, you know, I was sort of away from, from being in, in the hospital, and, you know, like, just going into that place, and, you know, I felt like I was like the happiest man to be there and, you know, being able to have the opportunity to recover again and have people working with me. Um, like going into the into the gym and just seeing people, you know, like just actually struggling to lift themselves up or like get out of a wheel, like transfer themselves in a wheelchair or like, you know, have to get hoisted onto a table. Like seeing that stuff, like when I was like walking around, um, you know, with a big smile on my face, like it was actually pretty hard. Like, you know, like sometimes I was like, man, I really don't want to be in here with, with like these people. Cause like, it just felt to me like, you know, here's me walking around, like I broke my back and I was paralyzed and now I'm able to walk and these people were, you know, struggling with day-to-day life. So like just, um, you know, like, yeah, being in that situation was pretty tough and like there was a there was one girl in there who um who was super nice and you know like she'd just recently come in and asked my physio what happened to her and you know she she tried to jump off a building and and commit suicide and um you know obviously failed and and become um paralyzed and like you know just having a look at you know her every day and and think man what it's like, you know, like when something was, you know, going terribly wrong and you try to, you try to end your life and it, it didn't work and now you're stuck in a wheelchair, like just, you know, that didn't really sit well with me and, you know, people like just looking at me and I don't know, I, I just didn't feel comfortable. There was also like people in there that like, you know, like one woman had come in and um, I think she'd slipped over in the, in the bathroom and whacked her head and done something some damage to her neck and she couldn't walk and she walked in there and seen me and must have seen me from the news and just started crying and come up to my mum and was like man she said to my mum your son's a a huge inspiration for me and I'm gonna 
I'm going to be walking out of here with, with nothing. And like, for me to, you know, hear that from someone was, was pretty huge. And, you know, like it was pretty cool to see like someone, you know, who, who just seen me on a TV actually comes in and, and says that to me is, is pretty awesome. So yeah, it was like, you know, my time, my time there was definitely, you know, like I enjoyed it, like, because I had a great physio, I had great people around me, but just that whole other side of it was, was definitely difficult seeing, you know, those people in, in those conditions they were in and me walking around with, with walking sticks, it was pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, did you, am I hearing like some, even though you were going through a hard time, you had some bit of guilt seeing some of the people maybe worse off yeah. or cause you just seem so yeah, lucky I guess, with your I guess, me- I mental guess. side, you know, you're like, you have this mental strength and, and it's been talked about how important that is for overcoming injury or life threatening things like this, the mental side. Yeah. Um, I think the mental side has had a huge part on, on my, um, recovery. Like, you know, like I think just, just from racing bikes in general and, and you'd know yourself, like, you know, the amount of crashes that we have, like it's, you know, those first, those first big crashes you have, like you, it, it really, it really taints you and it, it puts you off. But the more you have, the more you realize, okay, like well, I can put that behind me and, and carry on. And I felt like, you know, I just put that crash behind me and, and focused on the, I guess the bigger picture of me being able to actually walk again. And like, I think that was like a, a huge part of it. Like I had a, I had a psychologist come in and talk to me and, you know, like I was, I'd never ever worked with a psychologist before. So I didn't have a, have a, a idea of what he was actually going to talk to me about. And like, you come in and ask me questions like, how are you doing? Like, what are you dealing with? Do you have, you know, flashbacks of the injury or the accident? And I was like, to be honest, like, I really don't need to, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I don't really need to work with someone like yourself. Like, but, you know, thanks for, for you know, coming and taking the time. But just, you know, I just felt like, you know, I didn't have, I didn't need that stuff. I, I really felt like I was really mentally prepared and, you know, mentally trained for for something like that and um yeah I think it was I guess it's you know I don't know everyone probably has it but it's I hope he took some notes I I don't think everyone has it to be (laughs) honest there's something I'm hearing here and I wanted to ask like if you think you're kind of born with it and I know your mom's said on some videos how you came out you just came out just kicking and all busy and that's how you've been the rest (laughs) of your life but it seems like yeah, I guess your crashes and dealing with adversity and, and at the top of the sport, you're forced to reflect, quickly improve it and move on for the greater goal. And and all those other sacrifices are worth it because you have this goal of winning a race or or becoming one of the top men in the sport. But I, I, I believe you, you're born with a lot of it and obviously you can yeah. work on some. So I think that psychologist needs to kind of take some notes and, and use your mental strength techniques for some of his patients, man. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. I think people are definitely born with it. And like, for me, I was just, I honestly couldn't give a, couldn't have given a shit about growing up, like whatever, whatever I was doing, playing rugby, you know, like I was, I play rugby and I was just like, I had this vision of just like being a steamroller and like, I'd find the, 
find people to run over. Like it was just <laughs> like, you know, I was just, it was mental and like, you know, like, you know, I'd get knocked down and I'd, I'd just get straight back up. It was, I don't know. I just, I honestly felt like uh, I was, uh, I was built with steel until I had my accident. I was going to ask, do you, cause I've, I've, I mean, I've been alongside, seen it, watched it, laughed with you, laughed at you, been horrified. I mean, some of the crashes you've had before this and, and obviously your close friend said, you know, if they, when they heard you were on the ground and still on the ground, it must've been a really big crash. Cause did you almost feel indestructible before this point in a weird way? Yeah, I would, I would say I, I did feel indestructible, honestly, like, you know, my crash that I had in Mount St. Anne was definitely not my biggest crash. I've had way bigger crashes than that. And, um, you know, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, simple way to put it. I did definitely feel like I was indestructible. I still feel like I'm indestructible. Still. So. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're definitely born with it, man. I mean, because I'm just thinking like. <laughs> Well, I understand that. It's not your biggest crash, but obviously the way you hit the ground and, and all these things that went into it. Um, yeah. Sure. I don't even, yeah, I'm at, I'm at a loss for word that you still feel indestructible because I wanted to ask, um, <laughs> and if I've brushed over anything you want to share with us with the recovery, please come back to that because that's fascinating, you know, hearing these stories and, and what it's really like. Because obviously we, we saw on the social media, but we didn't, you know, we don't see everything. But when you ride again and you're riding downhill there was obviously a process and i would assume you work up to it it's road bike then mountain bike and eventually get on this downhill bike mentally were there stages where you didn't want to crash or you were a bit worried about that first crash i mean was that in your mind I mean, you've got to be human at some stage well yeah to be honest like um i guess like i guess when i had the rods in my back was was the the big part of of when I was riding my bike like I was just like so worried about crashing because at that time I, I my, you know my my skills my reflex my balance was not all there and like when I'd be clipped in you know I didn't have that foot strength to take my foot out so I was just more so worried about crashing with my rods in and and doing damage with them because obviously there's you know a big part of my back was fused so there could be more you know with a crash there could be a lot more damage um but once I got those out like honestly my back just was it was such a a different feeling like I had I actually felt normal again and um you know there was that obviously there was that fact there of like okay wh what is what is it going to be like when I crash and um I guess like from when I hopped on my my downhill bike till I went overseas and spent um, probably like five, six weeks riding. I actually never, never had one single crash. And I got to the point where I was like, man, I, you know, like I'm actually waiting, waiting to have a crash. Like whether it's a big or small one, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. And like, that was just another small goal of mine was to, you know, tick off was to have, have a, crash. a crash. So I knew, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you not, almost you know, needed like it. <laughs> You didn't try fake yeah. one and like ride into the bush and topple over. No, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I, when I when I crashed, it was a big crash. I'm, I'm talking big, big time. Um, what the, yeah, the first you know, crash I got back? To, yeah, the first crash. I got to um, where I got to Schlabming and like you know, I was that was like you know five six weeks into 
riding most days, most weekends, and you know, I was feeling pretty comfortable and confident and fast. Um, and like, you know, I, was, I said to my mechanic, I was like, man, there's just one thing that I'm waiting to happen, is, and that's a crash. So I, you know, I just really wanted it to happen. So I knew for myself and for my confidence that, you know, actually, okay, when I crash, I can actually crash and it's going to be fine. Um, anyway, come around this corner um, into this new section that they'd put in, in Schlabming, like this off cam, well, sort of like a sweeping. Uh, left-hander with like some off-camber roots and I come in there I come in so quick and sort of jumped over these roots and got pushed wide um, and rode down sort of the side of like around the stump in the loam and there was a fucking ski pole like a real one of those real sturdy long ski poles lying on the ground and um, that like my I rode over and it flicked up and went in between my crank and, and foot and honestly, like I went from like, you know, maybe going 25, 30K an hour just to a standstill and I got tomahawked over the handlebars and I was just like on the, like before, before I knew it, I was on my, on the ground and I was like, fuck, oh my God. Like I was sitting there shaking my legs, like shaking them to see if they were working and like shook my left and shook my right, stood up. And then I was just like, I just. Like I just went mental. Like I was honestly so happy. Like, I, and Were then I buzzing, got back like on my adrenaline bike. buzzing. Yeah, it was like honestly, it was like you know putting the sickest, cleanest, fastest run together. You know, that's the feeling that I had. And I, I got to the bottom, and I was like, "Fuck, Ben, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't guess what's happened, bro. I've just had the <laughs> hugest crash." And like, I mean, I feel like I don't, I and don't. You've got do a smile on your face in house. Yeah, yeah, and like I was, I was happy because Dude. you know, like it, it was huge. Like you know, like it was massive, straight over the bars, straight onto my head, and just whack the floor super hard. And um, yeah, and like I got to the bottom, and I was like, "Fuck!" I just had the biggest crash, bro. I'm honestly so happy. Like that was just that was like the icing of the cake, and that was sort of like the beginning of me knowing that, like you know, I was back to normal and. You know, I could, you know, ride my bike at a, at a fast pace and know that I can crash and, and you know, hopefully stand up still. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> I'm in shock. I think that's the moment <laughs> you realize you, you're, you're wired a little bit different to some of us, some yeah. of us others. But um, that's incredible. But, uh, but I mean, it goes to show, like, it's going to be tough to ride at pace and committed if you not sure what the ground's going to feel like or you know you've got to hit the ground and be like okay cool well you know i'm not yeah. gonna get inju injured every i could get injured i very well could get injured on the first crash um yeah. and I'm, I'm glad you didn't but you've obviously got to show yourself that not every crash you're going to injure something and and that's true we we do walk away from so many big crashes and and laugh about them um, yeah so that's I, that's insane I think man yeah, I think for me it was just more so knowing that my back could take it. You know, if I did crash on my back, I was, you know, I wasn't worried about sliding out and you know losing some skin. I was just more so worried about actually having a crash and landing on my back or landing on my side at a hard impact. That was this this the biggest yeah. worry for me was just actually knowing and like like I stood up and I was just screaming and jumping like I was just like and i was like looking around to see if any anyone seen it but no one was there when when i did it <laughs> oh shit but, yeah, and you that, didn't have the gopro or anything no i had nothing 
That's ironic. Oh no, yeah, man, that's typical. The, it's typical. You always have the big, huge ones, no one around. What? Um, I was. I'm quite <laughs> fascinated. What are the doctors? What was the doctors talk to you know before riding and and with this whole recovery? It, uh, how hesitant were some of them to give you this go ahead? Because I mean, if they'd researched, um, they must have known what you're going to do when they say you're allowed to ride a bike. Yeah. So, so. Okay, so the surgeon that did my operation in Canada, um, in Quebec, he was I was I was actually super lucky to to have my accident in, in Quebec because they have you know, they have some of the, the best uh back surgeons in the world there. So um I was yeah, I was I was pretty lucky to have, have a surgeon who knew what he was doing. well, you know, like most surgeons know what they're doing, but you know, specifically knew what he was doing with my back and um you know, like he honestly never, never once told me that I was not going to walk again. He, he come in, he seen me probably two or three times over the two weeks I was there. And he never once said to me like, you, you know, look, look, Brooke, um, worst case scenario, you're not going to walk again. And I think there's a, a high opportunity that you're not going to walk again. And he just come in first day after, well, you know, a few hours after surgery said, look, um, yeah, he just said to me, look, I'm really happy with, with how everything went um and you know like I I was I'm not that you know like because I knew how bad the injury was and I was not going to ask him well what what you know what is the worst case scenario am I going to walk again you know like I never I never asked that question because I just didn't want to have that in my in my mind that there was that possibility um and yeah so he 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 actually told Lucy that there was a potential like I you know, like there was a high potential that I wasn't going to walk again. Um, you know, and Lucy never told me that until, you know, I asked her if the surgeon ever said anything to you. Um, and then when I got to New Zealand, like I, you know, had a, had a meeting um, with the doctors and they never, ever really said anything um, until we actually went into this, uh, into this meeting with like my physio, my occupational therapist, uh, doctors, surgeons, um, all that jazz. And, you know, my physio asked a question like, okay, this is what he does. Um, he wants to race his bike in 20, you know, in 2020. And I think they were all like, well, fuck you, you're not going to ride your bike for at least 12 months. Um, and then she also asked the question, okay, like, can he get his rods out of his back? And there was this junior doctor there and he, and she was like, no, nah, he's not getting his rods out and, and you know, until the 12 month mark. And I was sitting next to her and honestly, I just like, I just started sweating. I was like, I just broke out in sweat. So I was like, just listening to, listening to that, like, you know, someone actually telling you like you, you can't ride your bike for, and until the 12, 12 month mark until we can potentially take your rods out. And I was like, after the meeting, I was like to my physio, like, what the fuck was she on about? Like, she doesn't know who I am. She doesn't know what I do and, you know, what sort of person I am. Can we can we have another meeting with a surgeon? So we we organized um, a, another meeting with a surgeon and, and he sort of went more in depth. He's like, okay, this is what we can do. Like if at the six-month mark, if I'm happy with the healing, um, we, can, we can take the um, rods out. So I was like, that was like a, another big thing for me because like obviously those rods definitely would have 
you know, affected my career now if I still had them in my back. So, you know, to have those taken out was huge. And then, yeah, come six months, um, I was uh, able to have those rods out and, like, the, the next surgeon who took my rods out, as, um, as he talked about in my documentary, like, he was he was also you know, like pretty surprised of what I wanted to do. And, you know, like he, he obviously knew what sort of person I was and knew, um, you know, what my job was. And, you know, I guess like when I met with him for a, like a consultation, um, meeting, like he kind of figured out, you know, who, I, what, what I did and, and what sort of person I was. So like, you know, there was, yeah, all in all, like there was no doctors that ever said to me, like, you know, you're never, you're never going to do your job again or you're not, you know, like you're not going to be a, a top, you know, a top athlete again. Like it was just more so that junior doctor who was, I guess, more so taking a precaution in front of other doctors and, and saying that. So, yeah, I think like my run with with uh, all the doctors and, and surgeons, like there was never, never one particular time that they said like I don't think you should do this again or like you're you know I don't think you're going to be at the level you were before so I think that was a huge huge part on uh on on my recovery also yeah that's great that they had that sort of support and I guess it's pretty common knowledge in the medical industry they kind of sometimes lower their expectations because there is worst case scenarios but what you've done is fascinating because you haven't really allowed yourself to think worst case. You've, you've kept it so positive. You've just kept it on, on day by day and, and, and kind of challenging the medical industry and, and challenging everyone around you to kind of work the way you want to work. So that's pretty damn fascinating. And, and um, yeah. so you've, you've had this big crash in Europe. You're beaming from year to year and you're kind of, you're ready, ready to go. And, um, Mate, it must have been pretty crazy, you know, racing Innsbruck, your first race back. It's late in the season. It's, it's you know, a little bit different conditions and a little bit slippery here and there. Uh, are you happy to walk us through what it's like coming back into the racing circuit? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, yeah, uh, Croatia was, was my goal to race again. And then with COVID, everything got, got put off, so... And um, Innsbruck Crankworks was my was my first one, which I think was pretty awesome because it um, allowed me a lot more time to prepare myself. And yeah, I think like uh, actually turning up to that race and just like you know seeing everybody was was pretty emotional. Um, and like you know, I just I honestly didn't know what to expect. Like I was so overwhelmed with with you know everyone coming up to me and you know, just giving me a hug and telling me, you know, how sick it's, sick it's to have me back here and, um, and all of that. And I just honestly, like just being able to actually, you know, that first, first run to, you know, ride into a start gate and know that I'm, you know, about to actually start racing my bike again, um, a year after, you know, not being able to walk, walk, walk was uh was was pretty awesome and then you know just that whole weekend like I think I didn't really I didn't really know what to expect until I actually went up for my race run and like it was honestly so emotional for me like I I just 
yeah, like going to the going to the gondola, like I was just like, man, all these people, well, you know, like people around, like I'm I'm gonna be the last person dropping, like I just fucking I just wanted to bore my eyes out, like it was just yeah, I guess like just for me, like knowing that I, you know, set a goal, and you know I didn't know if it was achievable or not, um, and to be racing a year later was just so overwhelming and you know to actually be the last person down the hill and and come across a line and there's all these you know all these people there cheering for me and that was just that was honestly something special like I didn't give a shit about the result like you know I couldn't couldn't care less what what I came was just more so the the welcoming of everybody um that was there when I come into into the finish line and obviously you'd know Nita was your you were commentating. It was it was pretty cool and like I think just, you know, we have such a, a small tight knit community in the in the mountain biking scene and like, you know, everyone loves each other and just to have have that support around me was uh was huge. Yeah, it was an incredible moment and uh, I was obviously doing it remotely and I just eventually didn't give a shit. I just kind of was like, let's, we got to cheer. Like, we, do you know how big this moment is for him? And and then uh, you, from what I remember, your face almost looked disappointed. I thought it was at the result a bit because I know you inside, but it's now making more sense. You were probably a little bit just kind of in shock and that emotional weight that's been on your shoulders since the injury was maybe lifted yeah. and you were just kind of taking it in. Cause I did want to ask yeah. like at what yeah, point fully. do you go past the emotion and then just start trying to tick off a result. But it sounds like that one was insanely emotion and, and just, it seemed like that weight now makes sense. was just lifted off. Cause I was just screaming at my computer and I was like, Cam <laughs> Elliot, like, dude, we, we need to be cheering this, you know, like this is, this is huge for the guy, yeah. huge for the sport. And I think we all felt like, you let us in and we went on this journey with you. You know, we went to war with you and, and we all share this common common passion for bikes. But um, yeah, that was, it was an awesome moment and, and well-deserved. Um, yeah. And then, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk me more. Tell me more about that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was literally just going to say like you, you, you summed it up well. It was like literally just the, you know, the, I think the weight, of the world was just lifted off my shoulders knowing that I can actually put together a race run. Um, I obviously have a lot to improve on, but you know, to come down and finish 11th, I was like, I was fucking blown away. Like, you know, I never, never expected to, to be in, in the top 12 of my first race back. And there was some, you know, there was fast guys there. So, you know, I was, I was pretty stoked with that, but yeah, just everything like just the, yeah all the weight was lifted off me knowing that I could, you know, be back and, and be back riding my bike fast again. Like I knew, I knew 2020 was just, just going to be a year of like, you know, I had that mindset of like, fuck, I'm going to win. Like I want to win. But I knew, I knew deep down, like, you know, it was just me, you know, proving to myself, like not actually proving to anyone else, like just proving to myself that I can raise my bike again. Like, um, you know, I, people probably thought I was stupid coming back and, and racing again, but I didn't, you know, I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to prove to myself that I was, you know, capable of 
turning up to a World Cup and, and qualifying again like that was, you know, like I wouldn't have wanted to have two years out and, and turn up, you know, in, in 21 healthy, but, you know, not knowing what I missed out on in 2020, if you know what I mean. Like I just, you know, like that was that was a good, good uh, building block for me, I think. Yeah, that must have helped so much because I know you went to the next World Cup and then you mentioned, you know, and also with a delayed season and quarantine and getting prepared, but it seems like you ticked that box of showing yourself, which you kind of have to. You you know inside if you've got it or not. And at some point you needed to uh, really show yourself in person. You could race with the top guys. And that's probably what helped your decision. Like, okay, I came to do what I needed to do. Um, and then you decided to miss the last round, which kind of makes a lot of sense because, I mean, you basically were doing rehab and recovery and, and barely had a second to yourself uh, from the injury till that 2020 season, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was like, that was mentally draining, like literally going from Mount St. Anne in 2019 to having an accident and then literally just rehab the whole entire time like 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 I was talking to before I was literally I was just I had tunnel vision like I was that was me every day like gym physio pilates massage dry needling like five days a week my my days were full chiropractor um and like I just you know I was just like I want to do I want to do everything I can to get me in the best possible shape like you know, like I just really was driven to to get back there, and that like that really mentally burnt me out. Um, you know, like Crankworx was good, um, and then I went to World Champs, and like I think just the fact of you know coming from a country that you know the virus wasn't really a, a thing there, and we were sort of living life normal, and then coming to a place where you know you had to have, you had to wear masks, you couldn't, you know, you had to social distance, you had to have credentials like all that sort of all that sort of shit really played on my mind of you know I just wanted to race my bike like that was the most important thing like I didn't want to have to think about you know carrying my credential around or having my mask um and you know all that sort of shit and and the weather too like the weather like you know obviously obviously with an injury like mine like your your body temperatures get messed up so like I don't like I regulate my temperature well, but not as well as it used to be. So like, for example, now, like sitting here talking to you, I'm, you know, I'm sweating. Like (laughs) it's, it's mad what, (laughs) what it does, does to the body. And, and like, you know, Oh, you know, my leg, my right leg will just go cold randomly. Um, so like, you know, having to deal with all that, that, that shit and, and that kind of conditions was tough. So yeah, I raced world champs and then, um, the two World Cups in, in Maribor and then and then went home. Like I just felt like it was the right decision for me because then I could take a break and actually reflect on on you know what I what I achieved and what I had done and prepare myself um, for a, a you know a somewhat um, pretty healthy off season going into twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it paid off. You came out firing and. Um... I was ch- chatting to Eddie and, and my brother and, and we obviously, you know, everyone's fascinated with the road to recovery and and I'm kind of, look, I appreciate you talking about it. It's so awesome. And I think at some point you're also wanting to be known for your riding again and the speed and what you can do in the f- in the future. And, and we all saw that at Leo Gang. 
What um, physical things are you still improving? Because it, it sounds like you still run your cleats a little bit looser with uh, the way um, you have power in your leg or that sideways movement. Are there other things? Because it seems like you sometimes are dropping your heels less than your old riding style. Like, What sort of adaptions have you had to make uh, to your riding? Mm, I wouldn't say like oh, I've had to like think about making these adaptions. I guess my body is just adapted to what it can deal with. And I think like, you know, like – it's it's mental what what uh, damage the you know the um you breaking your back and and damaging your spinal cord does to actually your nervous system and um you know like I I still I'm still like you know like I'm I'm to the point where I'm you know I'm I'm almost a hundred percent like I still have a little bit of uh, a little bit of you know, muscle definition lost in my right leg. My left leg's a lot bigger than my right leg. Not by, not by heats, but you, it's, it's definitely noticeable. Um, obviously my right side was way more damaged than my left. And, um, yeah. And then like you also, you're saying like with, with my cleats and, and pedals, some, some days my, my legs get, um, uh, my feet actually get pretty fatigued cause, um, there's actually a muscle that runs down the, down your shin bone. It's called the, um, what is it called? It's called the tib, the tib ant. I think it's like the tibia anterior muscle. And that like when that gets damaged, it, that that's like the driving power of like you're lifting your feet. Um, so that like controls everything. And like when, when that was bad, like that was real bad. Like I couldn't even, I had drop foot. So like my, when I picked my foot up, my, I couldn't actually hold my foot up and it would just drop down. So I had to have like, um, this ankle sort of ankle strap that hooked onto my, my shoe, which helped me lift my foot up. Um, and to be honest now, I'm still like, you know, that's still, still the weakest part of, of my injury. And that's just, I think it's just going to take time. So that like, um, that can affect me when I'm riding, like actually trying to unclip and clip out, like, well, more so clip out. Like it's, uh, I've just got to sort of find the right tune of, um, of where I have my, um, where I had the float on the pedals. Some days it's good. Some days it's, you know, I actually struggle to, to clip out. And then also a little bit like the, the sensation on the bottom of my feet sometimes like a, you know, like, yeah, the sensation is crazy. Cause like some days I feel my feet feel normal. And then some days like they don't feel normal. And like, I've got pins and needles um in them and you know that's that's a horrible feeling because like it's just you know it's real irritating it's it's not painful but it's just just something that annoys annoys the shit out of me because it's it can be uncomfortable as well and that um sometimes affects me when I'm you know I have my foot in my shoe and I'm trying to you know clip in I sometimes I can't really feel the the pedal um but like you know those are those are probably the 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 biggest things that I notice other than that, like compared to 2020, I'm so much more better and like, I've got way much more, way more power. Um, I'm actually able to, you know, do a, a full run down and, and not have fatigued legs at the bottom. Like, you know, last year I was getting fatigued legs and I couldn't, you know, my feet would just be shaking like hell. Like couldn't, couldn't control them. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, it's just a, it's more, more of a long-term, 
um, thing that's going to get better and better over time. Like I was told that, you know, everything's probably going to be back to normal within, you know, one or two years time. So um, I'd say, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good now. Dude, that's uh, yeah, ma- amazing to hear, and and thanks for sharing that. I do also want to jump to hey, welcome. maybe people have got to know you through the injury and the inspiring story, but let's not forget, you know, you've been a junior world champ. Uh, you you came out third year of elite, if I've got the facts right, and and won a world cup. You're a world cup winner. Um, you're not just Brooke, the indestructible bulldog that can bounce back from anything. You know, you're a race you're a race winner, and in 2019 you were. You were on podiums. You were winning both the crankwork stops. You know, before before the injury, you were in, you know at the the one of the one of the peaks of your your career. And I'm sure there'll be many more peaks. Yeah, I'm interested to hear um, what it's like winning winning a World Cup. And I know they say you know it's very difficult to to win again. And and you can maybe speak to uh, you know if you can still remember some of those emotions to to kind of achieve a goal like that, you know, winning a World Cup, being the best in the world on a day like that? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's not easy to win a World Cup nowadays. And, and you know, back then too, like, um, especially when I won World, my, my World Cup, Aaron Gwynn was dominating and same with Manar. So, like, that was, that was difficult. But for me, I guess at, at that point of time, like, you know, I I probably never, you know, obviously I wanted to win a World Cup, but I never thought it was going to happen then. And I think it was just, you know, that, that track really suited me. And I think it was just one of those days that, like, you know, I qualified third. Um, and, yeah, it was just one of those days that I felt good. And um, I guess, yeah, it was, a, yeah, like I just put everything together, like, I still vividly remember that run, like, but you know, like, there's the the procedure is always going to be different, and you can never, you can never repeat that same procedure um, from you know something that you've done, you know, like for like for the likes of winning a World Cup. Like, I don't think I could go back to, you know, what I did then to now, and and you know, think that it's going to win me a World Cup because it's not. But yeah, I just think it was just one of those perfect days, and like. I just, yeah, it was honestly like this, the sickest thing in the world to do. Like, I think, uh, I think just, I was just honestly in, in shock when, uh, I think, um, Cam Cole qualified first and he come down, I think he had a crash and like, I, I was just fucking blown away. Like I just honestly couldn't believe that I just won a World Cup and I'd beaten Aaron Gwynn um, at a period of time where he was just dominating and like to be able to do that like I think I think it was just maybe Manar and myself maybe Rat Boy to beat Gwynn that year so like that was also pretty special for me um, and yeah it's 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 really hard to win another World Cup like you know, that was in 2012 and the only time I've, I've come close was um, Fort William 2013, yeah, 2013 and then, uh, and then Croatia 2018. So, like, it's uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to win a World Cup and, 
you had no needles, like even getting on a podium. Like for me, getting on a podium is, is actually like winning a World Cup because, you know, those, to go top five fastest on the day is, is insanely hard. Um, so, yeah, to yeah, me, like getting on, the on the podium is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think you can be disappointed with yourself if you get fifth place nowadays. No, and, and even third, fourth, second, like all those things on a different day, yeah. you know, look at De Prella, um on a different day. He put an incredible run down. You, you get some help, and sometimes you do need help. That's how the sport works. That's how some of yeah. these riders, even Aaron, Aaron Gwynn, not all those wins – that everyone have clean runs or, you know, some top fast guys would have fallen off or, or had issues and you, you got to go with the, the luck of the draw. So no, I, I would totally agree. And I think it's amazing. You get to, to call yourself a world cup winner because it's so well deserved and a junior world champ, um, kind of gets me to yeah. thinking of, uh, you, you definitely were a youngster back in the day as we all were. And if you don't mind, I'd like to move on to maybe some more lighter-hearted stories of of your younger yeah. years because I think you are so supported with how authentic you are and and uh, how you just have this gung ho attitude. But I've got a few questions. You yeah. can you can uh, pass over them if they're going to get you in trouble or not because I've had to lean <laughs> on a few of your friends that you've caused mischief with. Far away, but, far uh, away, needles. I'm into it. Hey. Fire away, and and if if oh, it leads said, you to any other stories where they're involved, you ha you can happily happily share them. But quickly, yeah. uh, <laughs> rumor has it you try to cook spaghetti as a youngster without any water in the bowl. Please elaborate. Fuck, I uh, I can't remember that. Pro probably though, was that a, was that was that from <laughs> Win Masters? Yeah, he reckons you try to yeah, cook spaghetti honest... as a as a youth with no water or some <laughs> shit. Man, so I was I'm I was gonna take that as of, true. Uh, I was, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll probably agree on that. I can't remember it, but definitely probably uh, probably happened. You know, I was I was uh, fresh out of New Zealand, living uh, living at home, having mum's cooking, and and you know, obviously not knowing how to cook and that sort of shit, but. Uh, yeah, we, we, we actually lived in an apartment for basically, well, yeah, basically six months and like we we lived off a lot of uh, a lot of pasta, like it was free. Um me and Wynn, like we just like, you know, we'd go to the restaurant and get these get pasta and, and some, you know, like these pork chops and that's basically what we lived off of and uh yeah, I probably got, I probably definitely got put in chucked in the in the deep end of uh, you know, having to learn shit myself and yeah, it's probably a, a rookie mistake there of uh, trying to cook pasta in a in a pot with no water. <laughs> hey, we've we've all done similar stuff. I think people don't yeah. realize sometimes <laughs> if you go over before you even turn eighteen, or and you're going for months on end, you got to fend for yourself. It's it's pretty understandable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll fire through some of these. Um, how was the Olympic ceremony in two thousand twelve? Is there a story oh, to this fucking, one? That was out of hand. That that was a closing ceremony. Um, we're in, yeah, literally like Valdezier. I think uh, I think after Valdezier was was whistling, I was like, "Fuck, I'm going to whistle. I'm going to hellbender. I've just won a World Cup." 
I'm going to go spend a week in Whistler, ride my bike, and just fucking party hard. And uh, we were over there with Eddie um, and a bunch of Kiwis. And, yeah, we just we – just, uh, we went to this toga party, and we were – we were so mega and uh, it was probably like four in the morning and we just ripped all our togas off end of uh, end of the Whistler village and we just fucking had this big fire and we just like, yeah, we just, we were just, you know, doing the closing ceremony of the Olympics and there was this big fire going on in fucking Whistler village and <laughs> it was pretty out of hand. I, I have to show you the video one day. I've got the video of it. It's pretty loose needles. <laughs> but was it the actual... <laughs> Like your own closing ceremony, or there was a set like an actual end of. No, it was just our own closing ceremony of the Olympics. Oh. I don't know what we were <laughs> doing. We were just pissed up, and and, <laughs> and we were just having the uh, having a closing ceremony. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've obviously yeah. lent on your fellow Kiwis. Um, I'm not sure if there's typos in some of these, but talk us through the hand blow in Valdesol 2008. I'm not sure what he means by that, but maybe oh. that jars memory to you. Fight. Yeah, that was actually pretty loose. Um, is this another you know, party story? Away. <laughs> or a ride story? No, no, no. This is, uh, this is, I think this was race run or race run or seeding at World Champs. Um, you know, fuck, I was a grown, like, Val de Sol to hold on that full track was, oh was pretty goodness. gnarly. It was, it was horrendous. And, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, the, the, the fadeaway at the end, the, um, just before where Hill crashed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I come off of that, did this massive scrub off it, scrubbed it, and, um, I just, honestly didn't have any time to bring it back in and I was there was no chance of me bringing it back in um I was just hanging I was so tired landed full sideways blew like fully blew my hand off and then rode like rode my chest on this on the front of the stem all the way down to that left hand corner and just fucking rode out of it I was it was mind-blowing and there was a video of it um someone at dirt dirt um Dirt TV, I think, or, or yeah, we yes. should try. We Someone should try back find it. it. Yeah, if anyone has, yeah, the it's, video, it's fucking hit, loose. Hit, hit me up. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly so loose. Like it's just you know, like I was young, you just fucking do this big, big scrub off this fadeaway, and um, yeah, I just left it out there. Hand blew off, rode the rode the front of on the stem on my chest all the way down and then put my hand back on and fucking rode down to the finish line. <laughs> like like nothing happened. Yeah, like nothing happened. It was mental. <laughs> I, I honestly remember remember that vividly too. And you're just literally a passenger all the way to the berm and luckily there was a berm to catch you. Yeah. Yeah, full full passenger. And then Matt Walker, I think Matt Walker came after me and and uh went out nose nosed off it and went over the handlebars and broke his back and oh, yeah that was pretty gnarly yeah Dude, what comes to mind i mean we've talked a lot about your crashes but your crash at leo gang when you lost it at the top of the stump fadeaway thing well there's stumps it's the tree section that's now the stump section yeah do you remember that one yeah you was... lost it at the top yeah and flew all the way to the bottom and somehow missed all the stumps i mean you flew like a story and a half down yeah, that was um, like 
the way I remember that is like it was like being in a car accident. Like I've been in a car accident when I was younger, so I know what it's like. But that was honestly being in a car accident, and you know, like this car's crushed, and you literally hopping the opening the door and walking out of it like nothing happened. Like that's how it felt. Like it was so gnarly, and it was just something that you know I was it's just you know I wasn't even expecting to happen, and fucking. I landed literally between these two stumps and rolled out and stood up and walked out of it. It was it was mental. I don't no, know. That, like that if I landed mental. on those, yeah, if I landed on those stumps, there would have definitely been uh, there would have been some damage. But yeah, that was that was pretty scary. That one, like it, it actually really like it more so shook me up because it, you know it was it was a a fault on the bike and you know like that kind of like. I don't know, just lost the confidence in me a little bit that, you know, something like that can happen. Um, and, yeah, that, that was, yeah, it was loose. Like, I was fucking, I just felt like I was flying. Flying in the you, air, like, you were trying to judge where air. I'm going to land. Yeah, yeah, I was. Just, um, just to tell to you, I saw it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you were standing there, weren't you? I think so. I just, yeah, I, think, I mean, yeah. just the video's enough. I mean, you were flying to the air. It's a story, story and a half, at least that you're dropping away. Yeah, yeah, I dropped, yeah, I dropped a long way. And like, and you know, it was one of those sort of slow ones, like where I was in the air, like, like fucking, where am I going to land? Like, and then boom, you know, landed in the middle of these two stumps and rolled out of it. Mate, you know, in, in Whistler, if everyone knows Whistler, we used to, in the middle, used to jump onto a container and then jump off in the, like in the middle of the yeah. bike park. And then yeah, it yeah. goes a little bit left. There was kind of a rock hip and then you go back into one of the jump trails. Yeah. And uh, I, there was, everyone skids up onto the rock to the left after this container. And then they yeah. watch people go off this like rock hip to the right. But the way I was yeah. kind of just in a good mood, Whistler, like you know, and I, I jumped off this container and I kind of hopped up onto this rock to the left where it looks like skid marks. And then there's normally a rope. Yeah. And the rope was down. Oh, and I honestly fuck. just jumped up and thought it was like, okay, it's a Whistler drop. It's just a little scrub. Most of the drops are pretty chill. As I scrubbed off this thing, I was above a 15, 20 foot Christmas tree. And I honestly had that same experience. I had to ditch the bike. Fuck. And I was just, you know, like, um, what's it called? You just literally windmilling, windmilling your arms. Just, yeah, I literally yeah. just was like, <laughs> what, what part of me is going to break when I hit the ground? And uh, yeah. touch wood, nothing. Honestly, I didn't even get hurt. I had like a little scratch. I mean, I had Lopes was with me or someone at the time, a <sighs> few guys. And they honestly just Fuck. saw me disappear off this rock. And... Uh, yeah, Holy I had that shit. same. Yeah, I, just like got, got the hands out, just like okay, I'm literally felt like yeah. I was you're just literally, you're literally waiting for what's going to happen next day. Yeah, you. Ha I had enough time to process. Like okay, time if to, I hit yeah. now, it's going to be ankle. If I if it takes longer, it's going to be this or that. And yeah, horrific. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're meaning to. It's like it's sort of like it's sort of like yeah, like a big rock, and you kind of like if you go down to the bottom, you sort of like step down a little bit, but if you go up higher, you can step a little bit higher down yes. and then there's a big rock at the top. Eh? Yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Fuck that. Yeah. yeah that would have so been so unlucky. Yeah. It just that, looked that like the trail could felt go exactly there. like, yeah, that would have felt exactly like that crash of mine in, in Leo gang.
Yeah, because some crashes, like you say, the one you spoke about, you just before you know it, you're going fast. Next thing you're on the ground, just cartwheeling. You don't even know what happened. Then some, unfortunately, are like, <laughs> yeah. feel like slow motion, like a car wreck taking forever, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got a few more. I think he's misspelt this because I kind of know where he's going. He said, did your friend allegedly buy a half wing, but he must mean gold wing motorbike and a take it wing. for a spin. He said, he said half wing, but yeah, he yeah. must mean gold wing. Half wing. He must mean, he's meaning the gold wing. He's definitely meaning the gold wing. Marshy's gold wing. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I I guess um, I guess the Marshy like in 2019 bought a, a gold wing and drove it from uh, Mount Saint Anne to a snowshoe and then back I think and then uh, bought some gold wings in, in Morzine and when we were in Morzine uh, um, a couple of weeks ago we were cruising around on them they're pretty sick me and Dino yeah and you, Dino look, had you the, looked like you looked pretty wing. happy on the back of a gold wing. <laughs> Yeah, we look like two married couple, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Looks like you're you're off to a parade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Another um, girl, that thing. They're hey, pretty sick, those things. But this is your opportunity with without going. You don't have to talk too party, but maybe there's some funny stories. You got a best win masters or even Eddie Masters story because they were happy to uh, help me with some uh, research for this one. Oh, um. Win, 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 man! That guy is so many. It must be. It must be so tough to nail it down. There must be so many win master stories. Yeah. Fuck, he's just man. When he used to get drunk, he honestly was the funniest fucking dude. He used to just fall asleep everywhere. Like, fuck, we were in Thailand one year and we were on this massive like one month bender and fucking win. He'd just fall asleep, fall asleep, fucking at the party. Go up behind him and fucking light his hair on fire. You know he's got long, greasy hair. <laughs> yeah. And we'd, every time he'd fall asleep, we'd just light his hair on fire, and the fucking whole hair would go up in flames. He'd be fucking running around, slapping his hair, trying to put it out. Um, yeah, no way. Like, no, you got any videos so of it? <laughs> no, I don't have any videos of, of that, but fuck, if I did, that would have been that would I guess been you, so deserve good, it but... if you deserve it if you fall asleep. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, majority of my career, I've actually traveled around with Wynn, and um, yeah, he's been a fucking good dude to travel around. It's such a laugh, like just the, just his outlook on life, man. Like he's just like this fucking dude who's just like, you know, he's a hustler. He just fucking does everything, works hard, produces all his Wynn TVs and social media. He's just flat out. But um, no, no, I was gonna say between you, Eddie, and Wynn. Um, it seems, I mean, I guess it comes with the territory, uh, work hard, play hard, but it seems like you guys are happy to do that yeah. after months, you know, months on the road, months away from home, kind of missing out on life. You know, people don't realize, and I'm not condoning partying and yeah. do what you need to do, but life's about balance as well. And you kind of sacrifice, yeah, for, totally. you know, sometimes nine, 10 months of the year, you know, preparing and stuff. So you feel like you've earned a little bit yeah. of a bender, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think Eddie can best go by work hard, play hard. He uh, he definitely knows how to party hard and and also work hard. And yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's he's honestly like total opposite to his brother. And like he's 
yeah, like, yeah, we've had some mad times together and like the, the toga party where we fucking lit the, lit all the, all the sheets on fire and, uh, the end of the Whistle Village and had a fucking closing ceremony to, yeah, just having some, some, some huge, uh, huge nights with them in Queenstown. It's been, uh, been pretty sick and majority of them, you know, you kind of, kind of forget and, you know, have those blackout nights because, I mean, Eddie's one of those guys that you just, you know, it's, uh, he's such a good dude to have around. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, a lot of us and you guys, if you're going to do something, do it right. And if that's race a bike, do it as hard and as committed as you can. And if you've earned yeah. a party, then do that as hard and as committed as you can because <laughs> a little bit of here yeah. today, gone I, tomorrow kind of thing. For sure. And I feel like South Africans can relate with Kiwis as well because I feel like we sort of had the same mentality. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, it's sometimes a little bit harder to get overseas and and you know where you've come from and yeah we've got kind of that that attitude definitely you know make a plan work hard you know we've yeah i don't i don't think people can understand they might think we're talking a little bit and giving the younger generation the wrong thing to aspire to but not not at all i mean i think we just can't hide some people like a blowout or well, that's the way they release from the, yeah. the, the pressure and, and sacrifice. So, yeah, I can't sit here and say yeah. I haven't let one loose here and there, you know, or, you know, no. if you know, don't get anyone hurt and don't hurt yourself too bad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I think like, like you were saying before, um, you've definitely got to have balance in your life, especially being an athlete. And I like, and I think if you're growing up to aspire to be an athlete, like there's definitely that balance because you go through those, those stages in life when you're a teenager, like, like, man, I, when I was like 17, 16, 17, 18, like, you know, when I was home, I was partying every weekend. So like, I just felt like I really had a good balance. And then I really knew when it was time to put my head down and train and, and like when this become an actual job, I actually knew how to switch, you know, switch out of that mind mindset of, you know, like this is not actually, you know, I'm not here for a, you know, a good time and, and just to turn up and ride my bike, I have to actually put in the work to, to, to ride my bike. But yeah, I think, um, you definitely got to have a balance because I think like you can, you can definitely be burnt out pretty quickly if you're just, you know, fully focused on, on becoming a a professional athlete and you don't have that time to, you know, socialize and, you know, hang out with your friends or whatever it be, party, you know, do, do, do other things where, where it's you know i think it takes its toll on you and you know i think having a balance and and an athlete's life really uh really um you know takes it to that point of you know getting far and i i feel like greg minar is a prime example of of that he can uh probably relate to like a, a good balance in his life of like becoming an athlete where he's come from and where he is now and he's you know 39 years old and still you know, smoking us. So, yeah. Yeah, I, think, I, uh, uh, I was going to bring yeah. up the motocrosses as the extreme example, but Greg is a good example because he's able to switch off um, and he knows when to do that. He's he's found this crazy balance and that's where the longevity comes from and each to their own. Some people need to be fully 100% focused, sacrifice all year round, but that can lead yeah. to being burnt out and things getting stale. So if you're able to switch off you know, go away to Thailand and 
and I got a little bit, felt like a little bit of guilt if I was doing it too long. And then it made me so motivated to train or to phone the coach and say, cool, when are we starting? When does off season start? And I think Greg, it's a perfect yeah. example why he still got the longevity. He goes home. Yeah. I went and stayed with him uh, for a project and he's ever dedicated with his training. But if he sees some mates and they don't really care that he rides a bike, they just want to, you know, maybe go play golf, have a few beers. It gets him to relax, switch off. But then you look at the opposite side of the coin, like these motocrosses that are retiring at like 26. There's two things yeah. there. Like I know they get paid a hell of a lot of money, so there's even more pressure sometimes, these contracts. And they, they barely have a break with supercross and motocross. And you see, like... I yeah. know they've got enough money to maybe retire, but I think it's more that they're so burnt out that they didn't have any balance. Yeah. They were only just at the track, training, gym, racing 17 rounds of Supercross, two weeks off, go to destinations, do outdoors. Like at some point, you know, there's a breaking point. And that's why I think a lot of those guys get out of the sport early. Yeah, and I think it's a yeah that I fully agree with that, and and the reason why they're injured so much as well. Like, yeah, I just I feel like there's not a a, a break in that sport, and 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 when there is a break, they're not actually like, you know, like I feel like uh, the likes of uh, Colt Nichols and and you know Jason Anderson would be the kind of guys who would actually go out and enjoy themselves and and do a bit of partying, but. I feel like a majority of those guys, they just are fully focused on making their money, winning championships and, and getting out of there. Like I feel like there's way more to that sport than, than just that. Like I feel like it's such a sport that you have to be so dedicated to and, you know, like to achieve those achievements, you know, racing 17 rounds and being a consistent rider. Like fuck, if I had won one of those championships, I'd be on a month bender in Vegas, you know, like you'd, you'd be <laughs> wanting to really celebrate <laughs> celebrate that achievement because to get through 17 rounds with, you know, the fastest guys in the world and, and win the championship is, is, a, is a big deal. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating sport and that's why, you know, mountain biking maybe doesn't have the paycheck as some of these sports, but maybe we don't need it or want it because it, it, it helps us have a bit of balance and and maybe enjoy life alongside for the, sure. the racing. Brooke, what, uh, what what do you think the future holds for, for Brooke McDonald? Well, man, I honestly just want to keep racing my bike as, as long as possible. I, uh, yeah, hopefully can race it, you know, to the same age as what Greg's racing, racing to. Um, and, you know, like I, I, if I feel like I get to the point where I'm, you know, not enjoying it, I, I definitely want to be involved in the sport, whether it's, you know, you know, like working with a, with a downhill team or a cross country team. Like, I feel like, um, you know, like a, a downhill racer, like one of us can definitely benefit for a cross country team. And I feel like, you know, that would be something cool to do is go work with, with them, you know, with their technical side of things, um, you know, and also, you know, do that in downhill. I'd be, you know, a coach and, and work on track side and help help riders out. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I just want to sort of be in the sport and be around the industry as, as long as I can and, um, yeah, set myself up for – for the future and hopefully just, you know, be able to retire and, you know, enjoy life and travel the world and 
um, hang out with friends and ride bikes. Well, I mean, that, that sounds awesome. I, th- I think, yeah, you hit a key point. You've, you're going to have so much experience and, and things to to lean on and, and personal experiences like the injury as well as the race results and the technical side. I think you'd be a great addition. And it's awesome to hear you wanting to stay in the industry and, and support it. Um, any any last thoughts or things you want to share before? I mean, I know you're super busy in quarantine there, so I'm sure you've got some Netflix or something to yeah, watch. Yeah, I'm flat out. um no i think uh i think yeah i think we've we've covered covered a lot of stuff and i guess a lot of stuff like um yeah with my injury and getting you know detailed about that i feel like like uh when i was messaging you i was, was saying like you know i feel like i've not really like dived in deep with with everything because i feel like it's you know, I'm just asked a question or what, you know, what was the recovery like? And I've kind of just gone from when it happened, you know, to the middle of it, to racing and not really explain like, you know, the full in depth uh, stuff that actually happened in, in between and, and, you know, all the recovery and the shit that I did and, and went through. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, no, I think it's everything's good. I think uh, our sport's definitely in a good good place. Um, definitely, uh, Leger really showed that with uh, the spectators we had there, and just uh, the way the sport's growing and and definitely going. I think, uh, yeah, I think we're in a, in a good place. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Um, it's it's so cool. I was lucky enough to be there and, and watch you guys and and see the fans. I think it is in a good place. There's always room for improvement, as with anything in life. And uh, For sure. Yep. Mate, I appreciate you opening up, uh, letting us all in, and, and not holding back. I think that's why you had the fan base and the support going into the injury, not just the, the inspiration you showed and, and uh, guts to get through it, but the reason you had the whole following was, hey, mate, you, you, you know, you're an open book, and, and that's awesome, and we need more of those in the sport and in life. Thanks a ton for making the time yeah. coming on, doing the podcast, and You're you've welcome, done bro. some race race Thank reviews you. as well. I look I look forward to the rest of the season. Good luck, enjoy home, mate. Yep. Thanks, needles, um, and yeah, thanks for the thanks for the chat, bro. I appreciate it. And one last thing before you guys go: if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us hopefully a five-star rating and review. I read all those reviews. It's awesome getting them. If you've got any feedback, you want to send me a message, I get all those messages. I try to respond to them all. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun journey so far. So until the next one, stay well.